It's time for the Rich Life Retirement Show, brought to you by retirement professional and Wall Street Journal best-selling author, Bo Henderson. This is the one place committed to helping you navigate all aspects of a successful, meaningful, and fulfilling retirement. Let's get started. Here's Bo Henderson and Bill Maine. Back at it and ready to go. Rich Life Retirement, Bill Maine with Bo Henderson. Good to have you back, Bo. Uh, how's it going, Bill? Good to be here. I am looking forward to a great show today. Got plenty of things to talk about because today we're going to ask you, are you setting yourself up for an IRS audit? Mm. And anytime you use the word IRS and audit in the sentence together, Get a little tense. Yeah, it's a little bit, to say the least. We're going to talk about some of the red flags that the IRS actually looks for, for so you kind of know how to protect yourself. The fee that annoys you the most may not be the one that's costing you the most. And we're going to find out what sort of things you should consider when deciding how to take pension benefits. But first, I understand the Retirement Tour 2021 is taking you far afield. You know, it went, went a little further west this, this month. Yeah. So I'm, I'm Coming? Just, I'm just, no, a little further. <laughs> so I was out Tuesday night. We gave our, our retirement education workshop in Salt Lake City. That is a little bit further west. I believe Farmington, I believe. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it went really good. I, I wasn't sure. I didn't know if I'd get there and they'd say, hey, I don't like Southern accents or if my <laughs> jokes wouldn't work. But out of 13 households, 11 said, hey, I want help with what you guys do. So it was, yeah. I'd consider it a success. I would say that the, the one thing is if the jokes didn't work, I know the advice did. There you because go. Because we find that out each and every week that, that it really does. But now you're you're closer to home, and you're going to be touring a little bit closer. So where are we coming up? Yeah, March, uh, we're going to be at the Buford Community Center, just right up the road, really, yeah, this time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tuesday, March 16th, and Thursday, March 18th at 6.30 p.m., or that Saturday, the 20th at 10 a.m. So we've got okay. three slots. If it's something you want to look into, it's really just education, because it starts with knowing the rules. If we know, if we have good information, then we're, we're better equipped to make better decisions. And that's what we're all about with these live workshops we do in the community. Just go to richlifeadvisors.com, and you should see events, and you can register for one of those right there. All right, very good. And hey, the folks in Salt Lake City loved it. You will, too. That's right. So there you go. If it's good enough for them, it's, it's good enough for us. All right, so what do you think about the nearly $2 trillion stimulus plan that's making its way through Congress, huh? Larry Summers, an economist who served as a top advisor to President Obama, and he thinks it's too big. And that's just uh, that's going to bring back the kind of inflation rates that we haven't seen in a generation, he says. Now, if he's right... What would that mean for our retirement planning strategy? Because we've talked about inflation here recently. So what do you think? Yeah, so the, I, I'm, I'm on the same boat as that I think it's too much. You know, you look at the money we've we put into stimulus last year, 2020, 1.9. Now, now, that's a T. Yeah, trillion, trillion, trillion. Mm-hmm. That that you talk about how many seconds that is, and it's like decades. I mean, it's hundreds of years, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, so, so we we talk a lot about the problem that all this money is going to create with taxes in the future. But it's kind of evil twin is inflation. So it could be a double whammy, meaning if inflation goes up, it could impact the market. It can make things we need to purchase cost more, so our standard of living costs more. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we're going to get hit with the, the, the evil twin of higher taxes, and it could create real issues for retirement planning when we're modeling off of rules today. Right. And I think part of that is we think about, okay, uh, if if you're just now retiring, inflation's going to be a problem. It's always going to be a problem. But the other thing is it may, as you say, may reduce your standard of living. Or if you want to maintain your standard of living, then you have less money that you can put away for retirement. And some people, I hate to say it, that may be one of the first places they cut back. Right. Well, if you don't have it, if you're having to use it to pay the bills, right. then it's not there to save. So you're right. Sure. So there's one we might have less saved. There's another that we do the modeling. If we're having to factor a 6% inflation versus a 2 to 3% inflation, then our then our nest egg needs to be much bigger. Or we have to start having those hard conversations about, okay, might not be quite the lifestyle you planned. Or 
let's just work until 75 or so. You know? Yeah, you have to, but but you need to be aware that that's going on. Right. Yeah. And, and, and no, when we make decisions, I think, the, I think the point of this, too, is that it sounds good. I'm going to get a check in the mail. Yeah. But what is the trade-off? Right? I saw a great meme recently, Bill. You'll like this. It said, one of these has free food, free health care, housing. Doesn't have to worry about those things. Another one doesn't. And I thought it was pretty powerful. One of them was a, basically a lion in the a lion in the cage at the zoo, <laughs> and the other was a lion out on the uh, prairie. And it said he's one hundred percent responsible for how this works out. And it makes you think. Yeah, it does. It does. And and uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, the, uh, another the, show. I know the cost, there of, I go. the cost of security. Yes, a lot more than you think sometimes. Okay, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. A lot of investors have been celebrating the new record highs on Wall Street. It has been interesting to watch that. Uh, CNBC's Jim Cramer is not one of them. Now, he says the rallies are not supported by the fundamentals. That's a condition he describes as being a frothy market. That's an interesting description. Now, what about those of us who have retirement savings in the market right now? Do we also need to think about this as far as taking something off the table? We kind of alluded to that in our last discussion, uh, whether we pull money Mm -hmm. back or we reduce our standard of living. What about that? Well, the first thing, when you think about the tenant of investing, right? You remember Warren Buffett says it, you buy... Buy low. Sell high. Sell high. That's so that right. means we should be locking in gains when we have gains, when, right. we're, when we're in a high. But yeah, you have to know when to take them. Emotionally, what most people do is when we get scared and we start seeing our money go and the market go the wrong way, that's when it gets pulled forward. So, well, And what, what Jim Cramer was talking about there with the fundamentals don't support the values in the market right now is the underlying value of the companies that make up the stocks and the mutual funds we see, they're not worth what they're selling for. Right. It and doesn't when, back it up. And when there's a disconnect like that, usually there's a harsher reaction from a pullback when it does happen. It's just, when's it going to happen? You know, it's interesting. Uh, you bring this up. I was talking to a friend the other day, and he was just talking about, we haven't gotten a discussion, a discussion about something, Bitcoin. We're not going to go mm-hmm. down that hole sure. here. But his point was similar to what you're making. And I was saying, well, what makes it valuable? And he said, nothing but what people think it's worth. Right. And that's the way it is with anything. If I sell you my car, it's worth what you're willing to pay for it, quite literally. Right. Or yep. the next guy or whatever it is. Um, and, and that's the way it is, I think, with these companies in the market. There are stories of certain investors trying to prop these companies up so it's artificially driving the price up for whatever reason. Right. And, and it's a little bit of kind of how, the, how it was manipulated with a GameStop deal sure. of, of knowing the yeah. game and, and trying to do a workaround. But, but to that question of should we pull off some gains, it goes back to strategy, our old friend retirement strategy. Yes, if we, need, if we say, okay, we're retiring in the next few years, we identify what kind of income do we need to cover in addition to any pensions or Social Security, and what asset would it take to cover that gap for that first seven, ten years of retirement, because that's where we're most vulnerable to market risk and, and interest rate risk and even right. inflation at this point. Um, and we say, okay, that's the asset we might need to pull off to protect that so that our retirement, if our plans to retire in two years and we could afford to with the money we have today, let's protect the piece we need to protect. And you can grow the piece that has the timeline to do what the market does best, and that's grow over time. And do you, do you, uh, when you look at someone's strategy mm-hmm. and you take a look at the market and, and whatever assets they happen to have in the market uh, and you see it go up, which is great, um, but you know, then you start to see it start to ebb the other way, which it inevitably will. Uh, at what point do you let it go down? Is there a percentage that you look at before you try to take some of those gains and pull them on the side or, or just you know, let it ride? Well, there's some sophisticated tools now that if it drops, say, more than 30 percent in a bad market, it'll actually pull it to cash. But typically what we're doing, if we have the right money in the market and we have the right piece secure or safe for our income plan, we're giving it the time frame that it can come down. Because guess what happens after a big correction? It goes back up. You usually have your biggest comeback where yeah. you're growing back. And if you try to pull out and guess, you'll, you'll see statistics like 
uh, if you were out of the market, the three biggest jumps out of the last recovery, you'd miss about half the gain. I mean, it's that it's that important to be invested. The key is, is this the money that I, I have the time frame that I can afford to be in the market? Right. Now, now, that being said, if say if we're in our, our plan, we're five years into drawing down our income and in our kind of our secure middle bucket, the way we phrase it in our three bucket approach, uh, we're five years in and the market's up again, we might very well look at, okay, let's replenish some of that middle bucket because we're in a positive it's time year. time to take profit. Yeah. Time to take so that it. we're not waiting till year 10 and hoping that's not a down year. Because right. remember, everything we do when we build a strategy, we want to prevent you from taking your money in retirement at a loss. And there's a lot of pitfalls and traps that could cause you to have to do that. It seems to me if it were starting to ebb down, you'd take your profit, let it bottom, and when it, you think it's at the bottom, start buying back in. Or is that too risky? Well, it depends on on the on the goal. If you're still contributing, how big the bell curve is. If you're still contributing or you're sitting liquid, we talked about that. I have a lot of people that are more liquid right now, and they know it's going to go down sooner than going up much further. So, so they're kind of staying liquid to buy in. Right. Uh, but as far as timing the market, especially on that long bucket when we might have the the ten fifteen year time horizon. I don't want to get into that game of coming in and out because then you're risking missing those three or four big days you need to be in. Okay. Very yeah. good. All right. See, and that's why the, the math shows the path. You that's have right. to have the strategy. Think it all the way through, not just knee-jerk. And I guess my approach was a bit more of a knee-jerk than it was but thinking the long term. It, it's thinking through the timeline, thinking through the jobs we need to accomplish in retirement, and making sure it's the right tools and the right jobs. And most people really, Bill, they just don't have that much strategy. It's just more, here's a lot of stuff I got here with, and, and let's just hope it works out okay. All right, well, all about the strategy and the modeling here at Rich Life Retirement, and I'm not the one who does that, thankfully, but he <laughs> is. If folks want to find out a bit more about what goes on with putting that strategy together, just hit the website, or what do you want yeah, to do? Yeah, go to richlifeadvisors.com. A lot of good information there. You can contact us, uh, request a meeting there, or give me a call with your specific questions at 770-249-7424. That's 770-249-RICH. Okay, so the COVID outbreak has reminded us of just how important it is to plan for long-term care. And I guess it's also reminded us our human fragility, if you will. Mm. Now, one of the saddest things about the pandemic has been the nursing home quarantines that have left a lot of our loved ones isolated and alone. You know, when it comes to planning for our own long-term care, something that we honestly don't want to think about sometimes, are there any affordable options other than nursing homes or assisted living centers? What is out there? Well, nursing homes or assisted living centers. Now, what most people want, Bill, when I ask them if you have a long-term care event, and in a household, there's a pretty high chance something will come up over the course. Of, I think it's about it was 67% chance a couple will have some kind of event to deal with. Yeah. Uh, so different way, but most people, they say, I would prefer to have care in my home before I go to a facility. And I would agree with that, right? yeah. Or much less a nursing home. Uh, so as, a for, as far as affordable ways to, to address it, more and more what we're seeing is, as opposed to traditional long-term care insurance, where and, and it's, it's high premiums, where you're paying a premium, and it's kind of one of those things, it's like, it's like fire insurance on your house. Yeah. If you need it, it'll be the best move you ever made. But if you don't need it, it was pure expense. Right. Or even worse, I've seen this happen, if we pay into it for 15 years, then we can't afford it anymore, then have an event in your 17, you're out of luck. So we've shifted, and, and, and a lot of those companies are having a hard time because they, they, they didn't really know how to price it because they didn't really plan on how people are living longer and how long they're staying healthy. Uh, so one of the things we're seeing is more hybrids. We're seeing things like life insurance policies with long-term care riders. So huh. say, say you had a $250,000 life insurance policy with a long-term care rider, you could use that death benefit to pay for long-term care expense if it came up. That's, that's a pretty good plan. So, so it's an alternative. You see some annuities that might double the income payout during a long-term care event, hmm. right? Okay. So, so something, it might not, it's not going to cover like a insurance policy necessarily, long-term care insurance, but it helps. Yeah. 
Another is asset-based, meaning if we had an asset we could shift into a long-term care, it's called an asset-based. So that asset is basically securing the coverage. And an example, say we had $100,000 in our plan that we could earmark for that event. What it would do is it gives it a couple purposes. If you have a long-term care event, you or you and a spouse could have significant coverage towards a long-term care event based on that, much, much exceeding a lot more than 100000 that you put in there. Huh. But if you never use it, it goes as a life insurance policy to your beneficiaries. So okay. somebody in the household benefits at least. Somebody will get it. It's right. not money just thrown out the window. Right. Okay. So I think the key with all that, the long-term care, is if you haven't had the conversation, you need to have the conversation. And you might decide, hey, I'm willing to take the risk. But right. at least you talk through the options and you're not going to come back to somebody like me and say, well, you didn't tell me those, those <laughs> ways we could have handled it. Right. Well, and you just listed out more options than I thought were out there. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm sure there's more uh, different ways to do it depending on – how you look at the math and your strategy. And right now I'm running into it becoming very relevant to a lot of people, Bill, because they're dealing with their parents going through this and they're saying, wow, yeah, this has been hard. It's an eye opener. I want to not be a burden on my kids with this. And, yeah, and most definitely. Them. All right. So, uh, you know, you got me now when I look at stuff, I, I, I see something when I see something that goes de- deals with retirement, I, I pull it aside. So you got me looking now after these conversations. Parade Magazine, I know you've, you've seen that. Uh, they have an advice column. And a soon-to-be-retired reader asked if they should take their pension benefits in monthly payments or accept a lump sum offer. Now, how would you go about answering a question like that? Which is best? Yeah, you know, you're going to love this answer. The math will show the path, right? <laughs> so it, it's really, and it's different across the board. So what we need to do is we need to really see the math of the situation and see there will typically be maybe a lump sum option. There might be a monthly payout for your life, and there might be a monthly payout for the life of you and a spouse. And what we want to see is, is that lump sum option something we could put in a personal IRA and create the same or equal benefit or more flexibility? If so, I do like the idea of us getting out of your company's um, deal because we've seen pensions with companies get changed or yeah. go away. Or, yeah, or just disappear. Oh, right. you all that money you saved? Sorry. Right. So what we want to do is we want to mathematically see is the lump sum or the income stream worth more? And there's a way to calculate into that. And say, okay, hey, the income stream is actually worth a bigger asset than the lump sum, so maybe we should consider taking that. Or maybe having the ability to have a spousal benefit. Uh, So, again, it's mathematical. It's getting the numbers on the table. It's a puzzle piece here. Okay. So the answer is it depends. Yeah. But and, and importance out the importance that every every case is different. There's no one set rule of thumb. Right. Uh, you really have to look at it as an individual situation. Uh, and with that in mind, uh, we kind of teased us coming in. It's tax time again. Yay! Uh, and we're looking for ways to save. Now, one way of doing that is by contributing to a Roth IRA. As you know, I love that. That's one of my favorite things. And I know you're a big fan, too. But what if you earn too much money to do that? Mm-hmm. Morningstar's Christine Benz says you can still do what's known as a backdoor Roth. Now, that's a new name on me. Yeah. What the heck? It, it sounds really sketchy, right? The it backdoor does. Roth. Exactly. The, the, the gray area. So, no, what that means is a lot of times um, most people like the idea of the Roth, having, hey, my money can grow and I can pull that growth out tax-free yeah, in the future. It's brilliant. It doesn't count towards my requirement and distributions at 72. It doesn't affect how much tax I pay on my Social Security. And, and our big one we talk about all the time, it protects me from future tax increases. Yeah. Right? So a lot of big things, but a lot of people, there, there's earnings thresholds. And if you, you have make too much money, you can't contribute directly to a Roth. But the back door, now here's what you can do. You can contribute to a, a, a non-deductible IRA. So it's just an IRA like you would normally contribute to, but yeah. you're not going to get the deduction because you you it's a, it's it. a generic run of the mill IRA. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't get a benefit there, but from that bucket, that non-deductible IRA, now we can convert it to a Roth. 
after you've had it in there for a certain period of time. Uh, so if you ask me, it's creating an extra step. If they're going to let you get it to a Roth anyway, but you can still do that. So you can still get a full Roth contribution even if you exceed the earnings threshold. Well, and it lets uh, it lets Uncle Sam get at least a little of that. That's right. I suppose. So everybody gets a little something at that point. Yeah. All right. Well, if that that's an interesting way to do it. Now, Forbes magazine says workers rarely talk about longevity risk. You're right. I don't think I've ever had that conversation in the workplace. Economists talk about it all the time. Why? Well, longevity is, especially in the retirement context, Bill, longevity is the multiplier of every other retirement risk we have. You know, we talk a lot about interest rate risk. We brought up today inflation risk. There's sequence of returns in the market, the overall market risk. Uh, all of those things are multiplied the longer we live. So longevity exposes us to more risk. Sure. So it's, on one hand, it's great. We're living longer and living longer healthier. But on the other hand, we probably need to do a little more risk planning because we're living longer and we're living longer right. healthier. Exactly. If I were going to pass away, I knew I was going to pass away tomorrow. My risk of an auto accident would be very low. All right. Well, <laughs> a, a 65-year-old today, 65-year-old male has a 25% chance of living to 93. Wow. All right. 93. That's pretty impressive. And in a couple, I, I'm trying to figure this out. Either they're happier or they're tougher from, from surviving living together. In a couple. <laughs> He's the, knocking his fist uh, together a, when he says it's surviving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in a couple, it's a 25% chance to one of you living to 97. Wow. So if we're retiring somewhere in our 60s, that's a long time. Yeah, that's that a long is. time to deal with inflation, interest rate, market risk. So we, we need to be cognizant of that. And a lot of retirement is mitigation of risk. Right. And that's that's what we want to pay attention to. So longevity can be our friend and our enemy. We just want to make sure we're taking account of that. Okay, All right. Uh, Of all the different kinds of fees that we pay, which is the most annoying? Okay, in case you can't tell, that was the ATM dispensing fee, because listen, listen closely. Hear that? That's you getting ten dollars for lunch, but paying twelve fifty to be able to have the privilege of taking out your ten dollars. Simultaneously billing your account for those things, it, it, it drives me crazy. And my son goes through this all the time with his money because he insists on doing it banks that are out of network. I don't know why. But Magnify Money did a, a survey. It's a website, and they found the ATM fee is the single most hated of all the fees we pay. But as annoying as it is, I think there are probably others that cost us more money. So what should we be worrying about? I know the 250 here, but what about in our investments? The, the ATM fee. Now, let's picture this. There's been many a times I've been doing a training or something out of state. Yep. And you need some cash, and your bank's not there, of course, nope. or within walking distance. And you don't want to take an Uber because that'd be fifteen bucks to exactly. get to it. And you go to the hotel lobby, and it's probably usually in that case when you really need the cash, it's like a five dollar fee, right? <laughs> yes. At least three dollars. Uh, so, so that was fascinating. You brought that up. I did see that uh, the average ATM fee over a lifetime adds up on average to thirteen thousand nine hundred forty-one dollars. You are kidding me. No, no. Common checking account fees, including ATM. So that includes checking account yeah. fees, like maybe an $8 a month type of thing. Whatever it might be. Yeah. Almost $14,000. Little, small, insignificant fees over what? A lifetime. I That's never decades. thought of it but, like that. Yeah. So so that was one. As annoying as that is, almost $14,000, what, what we're getting at here is that the fees people pay in their 401ks, and these are kind of... Uh, um, they're, they're kind of tricks, uh, sneaky because you really don't see them typically. Right. You see the before balance and the after when you get your statement. The average fees on a 401k on average of a lifetime are up to $206,753. 
That's a bit different. I'll take the ATM fee. Any yeah, day a couple hundred thousand. And so while IRA fees could add up to a lifetime total of one hundred forty-four thousand six thirty-three, so the, what it's saying there is that in four hundred one k's you're kind of limited to what the employer sets up. Right. Some of them have low fees. Some of them have higher fees. In the IRA, you have more options and choice. You can control yeah. that. Yeah, and and you know the people that are administering that for you, they're the experts like you. They they do deserve uh, payment for their expertise, but it's finding what's most equitable on both sides. Right. When finding uh, is that, are you getting better returns for the fee you're paying? Or if not, if you're just getting average returns, you might as well just put it in the S&P 500 index yeah. and not pay a fee and or much it, of a fee. And just let it rock. Sure. Right. All right. Before we get out of here, we need to talk about this because tax time's coming up. We know the IRS randomly audits a certain percentage of tax returns each year, but website MoneyWise says there are certain things you can do to increase your chances of audit. I want to know what they are so I can avoid them because I've got to go home and fill my taxes out next month. All right, here we go. So I'm going to start at the top. Um, when we looked at okay, this, okay, I'll check them off. We look at this piece. So. All right, let me check them off. Here we go. go. You're making a lot of money. Okay. okay, that's not me. I'm good. Okay, there's one. <laughs> so I'll audits typically happen for higher income taxpayers. They're they're much more likely. You're running a business. No. Because uh, there's so many moving parts there. I'm not running my business, but I'm running okay, someone else's. Okay, there you go. High itemized deductions. So, you know, with the standard deductions now being so high, a lot of people don't even qualify to it, have enough itemized deductions. It took a lot of ours off the table. Right. So if they're really high, uh, and it almost might look like, wow, that's suspicious. A person has that many. Yeah. Are they making them up? A little bit higher. Uh, extra large charitable donations. If it's not really, really jiving with the income and expense, that could be a, be a red flag. Hmm. Um. Too much, too much uh, dealing, and this is kind of funny because we talked about this. Cryptocurrency now has been a red flag. Yeah, I don't know how they tax on that. All right, well. Because you don't make any money until you sell it. That's probably why they want to make it a red flag. Exactly. All right. <laughs> um, uh, excessive cash transactions, if that's tracked, or you see things coming in and out um, from what the bank tracks. Okay. Uh, here's a big one, 100% business use of a vehicle. Now, my accountant did a good job here in town. He said, okay, Bo, I know you use that truck a lot to drive to appointments and workshops yeah. and all that, but- you got to do a portion of it, the portion that's allowed. You can't just say it's not like you're out there paving roads in this truck. It's for <laughs> yeah. your job, right? Because <laughs> there's some of that. I know you're hitting the store or you're you're headed to daycare or whatever it might be. And the last one, and this has been a big one, is claiming a home office deduction. A lot of people are trying to claim that for 2020 because they had to work from home. And I'll bet a lot more than we've ever seen. Yeah, and that's going to trigger some. That's going to trigger some audit there. All right, very good. Well, last thing before we get out of here, we've only got about two minutes for this, but it's we need to take a whole show and talk about this. And that is planning for expenses. You know, inevitably, one guy, one person is going to die before the other in Typically. a relationship. Usually the guy. I'm older than my wife, mm-hmm. so odds are I'm going to pass first. The question is, you know, once I pass, her her income is reduced, but shouldn't her expenses be reduced and she should be fine going forward, even coming in with the same amount in retirement? Yeah, so so you have a contingency. At least you've thought through that. You know something should happen to you. Right, we, we talked about we've that got life insurance. You've yeah, got, you got a piece of life insurance, and the expenses are going to be low enough. And that's the key with that is when when a spouse dies, uh, income in the household on average drops by about a third. Yeah, and I understand that. Right, um, and the other thing is taxes go up because you're going from the most favorable tax bracket of married joint to single, so you're going to pay extra ah. tax. I I had not thought about that. You're going to lose income, and typically we know a spouse will die um, one before the other. And my question when when this comes up is, what is the plan for that? Right? And and you had some ideas of how you guys would handle that. A lot of times I'm dealing with somebody coming to me after a spouse has died, and they're trying to figure it out. So yeah. so my question is, if we don't have a contingency for when that happens, let's make a plan for that now because it's much easier. We have a lot more options. It's going to be a lot 
easier to accomplish. And it's going to leave that remain that surviving loved one in a much better position. Yeah, and I think my mine was very, and, and there are more sophisticated and better ways to handle it than, than the way we did it. But the only thing that that we really thought about was in purchasing life insurance, right. so that the way the life insurance is stacked up, there'll be a good bit of money coming to whomever. Right. And that should fill in a lot of those gaps. And that's the contingency. It could be life insurance. It could be an extra asset earmark to help replace. It could be, you know, the mortgage will be paid off and the expenses are low enough. It's what's your plan. She'll sell my boat, I can tell you that. There you go. (laughs) It'll be gone. All right. We've talked about a lot today, and there's a lot more to talk about with your particular situation. As Bo mentioned, it's all individual. How do we get in touch with you? Go to richlifeadvisors.com, or if you have specific questions for me, give me a call at 770-249-7424. That's 770-249-RICH. Interesting as always. Bo, have a great week. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning. Give you a buzz. Sounds good. See you, Bill. If you have specific retirement questions or would like to know more about Rich Life Advisors, go to richlifeadvisors.com or call 770-249-7424. That's 770-249-RICH. Rich Life Advisors LLC provides investment advisory services through Formula Folios. Bo Henderson is a licensed insurance agent in Georgia.